Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Devine. Um, before we start today's show, we just want to acknowledge what happened with the stadium disaster in Indonesia. Um, the official issued death toll at the Kanjurahan Stadium is 174, but it is feared that that could grow over time. Of course, there were several hundred injuries as well. Um, and I'm reading from a, a piece that The Athletic wrote about it, a news story yesterday now. In terms of the full story, The Athletic will be taking our time to report further details. This is one of the worst stadium disasters in the history of football, and we will share the extent of the tragedy with you only when the facts have been established. Um, and we will do the same here at the TIFO podcast as well. But obviously at the head of the show, we just want to... Acknowledge what is an extremely sad situation, um, but for now let's uh, let's get on with the with the rest of the show. Okay, on the show today we have JJ Bull. Hello, JJ. Hello. And also joined uh, by Seb Stafford Bloor from Germany. Hello, Seb. Hello, Joe. Let us begin, where else one might say, with Manchester City 6, 3 Manchester United. JJ, Erling Haaland, we've talking talking we've talked about him a lot on the podcast already. Mm. Um he's broken the game, hasn't he? He's very efficient. Yes. He doesn't take a lot of chances to score all the goals. No. It's really great though. Like he's really fun to watch. I, th- I remember seeing him play for, uh, I think it was Salzburg before, wasn't it? It was that when he first started. Yeah. And I can see that you can tell straight away some players that they're absolute players. Yeah. Uh, this guy's next level. And then you see that he's just always in the right place at the right time. The weird thing I keep seeing him do is that he seems to, you know, when you get lots of people playing like Call of Duty tournaments yeah. and the video games already, but there's always accusations of people using wall hacks. Sure. Or something like that. On, on, on this, up, I was playing Rocket League last night with some friends and we were talking about Holland and uh, we said he's smurfing, basically. Smurfing <laughs> is a, a gaming term for when someone is is uh, has a higher skill level and is playing in a lower rank deliberately in order to win and or troll uh, yeah. lower rank players. Uh, and it does feel like Holland 
it should if there was two more leagues above the Premier League, he'd be in that top one. You know, it's like having a Premier League player just playing in League One. It's weird when the ball gets him in the middle of a crowded box, he's still in away from other players. Mm-hmm. And that usually he's floating about the penalty spot. You often, you often see like Foden's first goal in this game, he goes front post. You can see they both look at each other to know where they go. So Holland p- pulls over to the back post because that naturally is where Foden goes. And there's loads of reasons why. We covered this in the video I did in the weekend about um, Ericsson not tracking Foden for the very first goal. But there's a distance between the first line of defence of Man United and their midfield line. Mm. So like the back four. It's actually a five at the time because McTominay goes to right back. Right? Yeah. And uh, But Holland manages to then, when he scores his goal, to just drop into these spaces where exactly where the only ball could go. That's why I mean it's like wall hacks, as he can see the direction of the ball as though it's programmed, so he knows where to go exactly to get on the end of it. He's looking at the football matrix. Yeah, and and I wonder if this is a thing. How does he know every single time? There's places where you should go. And like whenever you're playing football at, at any level, you'll find ways to get space. And he does little subtle movements to get away from people. He shoves them one minute, then pushes the other way. But everyone else goes one way, he goes the other. He's always the calm in the chaos of it. He does that celebration where he does meditation. Yes. Afterwards. That's maybe what he's doing. He's working this next level. It very much might be. I mean, I, I thought, uh, Seb, that the commentary team here um, did a, a very good job of, uh, of explaining how difficult the goals he scored were to score because they, they look quite easy. You know, the ball comes in from, from the edge of the, uh, the box. But when you take a second look, you can see how much it's bobbling. And those... You sort of see goals or, or misses, I should say, in the Premier League fairly often where a striker is within six feet of the goal and blazes it over because the ball is bobbling a lot as it approaches him. Holland just makes those you know, receptions look stunningly easy. Yeah, you know, the one that really impressed me was the, the conversion from the De Bruyne cross, which was wonderful. And it, it I suppose in, in kind of football parlance, it put it on a plate for him. But in reality, if like if one of us was trying to convert that chance <laughs> on a, a ball on the half volley, which is bouncing, and we're reaching to to get to it and our legs are about seven foot long yeah. uh, just by themselves like the precision in that is is it gets lost because he kind of it's like all, all excellent players they they normalize their abilities over time they create the expectation that something is is really really easy mm. actually uh, as, as Foden did for the first goal because I think that if you remember what it's like to play football at, at 38 that that memory is kind of fading pretty quickly for me but a ball coming towards you that you're trying to turn back across your body. Like how often does like a, a normal kind of amateur park footballer like us just see that kind of bounce off their shins and go straight back towards uh, where it came from. It's a wonderfully deft touch. But yeah, I, I think um, as per that that goal in the Champions League where he, he sort of controls his body, the touch produces a strong finish, but it's very precise and it's mm. almost, it's kind of gentle in its way, very crisp. It's remarkable to see. Well, here's a couple of things about him I saw over the, the weekend, JJ. The first is that uh, Lekeep gave him a 10 out of 10. And if anybody uh, has seen Lekeep's player ratings previously, they will know that that is an extraordinarily rare thing. I believe only 13 players have ever received a 10 out of 10. And Lekeep will give a team that played very well, their star striker who scores a hat-trick will get a 7. You know, So that's, that's something on its own. The other thing I saw that was really interesting over the weekend was a, a few people tweeted about this, actually, uh, that Haaland is rarely, if ever, offside. I think you look this up, he's been offside in the league twice so far this season. Yeah. And for a player that scores so many goals and plays on the shoulder, that is remarkable. Well, yeah, it is good that he manages to do that. It's cause he's very clever the way he plays. I mean, compared to other strikers, it's not. <laughs> Harry Kane's been offside three times. 
That's one more. That's one more. Even Tony's been offside. That's eight. a whole fifty percent more. Even Tony's yeah. been offside eight times. Yeah. And to be fair, Harry Kane more would rarely be offside because he drops so deep. I mean, he's virtually an attacking midfielder these days, isn't he? He doesn't play off the shoulder in the same way that Holland uh, does. Yes. Look at me do football. Isn't that impressive? <laughs> You're doing all the football. Thank you. Ronaldo's been offside four times in six games. Okay. Yeah. And he's barely played. Those six games would have been about twenty he's minutes on each. The bench now, yeah. yeah. Hard to be offside from the bench. Yeah, very difficult. <laughs> also, the keep have started, started giving a lot more tens. Like if you go through have all, they? The, yeah. Uh-oh. So if you go through like, all the lists, um, it goes. There's like one in nineteen ninety four, <laughs> one in nineteen ninety eight, something like that, and then right. it suddenly jump, jumps like some new writers or editors come uh, on, and it's, in twenty seventeen, there's like one, two, three, four. It's like Neymar and uh, Mbappe, like PSG absolutely steamrolling other teams and. I mean, Bappy got one for scoring four goals against Kazakhstan, I think it was. I feel like you're just myth-busting all the fun things I brought to the conversation. No, I like that. But you've got to put it in context. It's great that Holland is not offside. I like what Guardiola said about him. He was asked whether Messi is better or whatever like that. Uh He says the thing with Holland is that um, he needs his mates, is what the term he used, mates around him so he can finish the action. And that's what he's so good at doing, that we say, being in the right place at the right time, always knowing where the ball is going to go, always knowing what run to make, either to facilitate his teammates getting the right positions to score um, like there was an example where he passed it wide to Grealish when he could easily have put it on his left foot and yeah. pinged it top corner you've seen him do it in loads of videos and training all the time the better option is Grealish who then has a higher chance of scoring you can yeah. see that what happens then Grealish takes a touch slows the ball play down doesn't shoot and Holland's like, well, why did you not just shoot? That's why I gave the ball to you. That was the whole point. Well, Steve Hankey makes a, 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 an excellent point in the notes here to say, do we talk about his, his mental attributes enough? We, you know, when we talk about Holland, we talk about his physical prowess and his, his, his size and uh, physicality against other players. He's a smart boy. But it's all linked together. It's all linked together. That's it. He's able to... He's massive. He's a massive boy. Yeah. And, this is the, and then defenders don't like that. Yes. It's hard to deal with. You see, the corner that he scores is um, Ericsson. <laughs> Ten Hag said this was not the plan to have Ericsson marking. Well, that's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> Obviously, it's not. Yeah. I wonder if it was meant to be Varane. Varane was off injured at that moment, yeah. wasn't he? So that might have been that he was. I, I haven't checked. I should probably have checked before he did this. Who, yeah. who else was marking him later on? But um, someone probably should have thought, "Hey, Varane's not on the pitch, though. Maybe we should send another big lad over to stop." Scott Hall. McTominay seemed to be quite close by when it happened. He yeah, was a, that really counts, He was his own know. line on the six-yard box, so he would be. See, he's a tall guy, so he'd be one of the first headers in the middle of that box. It makes sense to put a tall guy right in the middle. Mm. If you're whipping it in, and they're, they're whipping the corners into the penalty spot. Uh, I think almost every single time City in that game. Yeah. So Holland's got away from him to score that. Okay. That's the thing he's worked on. So that one of the things I thought when I saw him play for Dortmund a lot was that although he's a massive boy, he's not very aggressive with it, mm. but uh, he doesn't necessarily need to be like bouncing people out of the way. But what he seems to have got really good at is then knowing where the ball's going to go for the yeah. header. Maybe he's been told the ball will go to that bit of the pitch. That's where they're going to go to in the set piece so he knows where to attack it. Well, on his learning curve, I was talking to someone about this last night uh, who said, having watched him sort of extensively four years ago when he would have been 18 years old, he wasn't then, like the, obviously he wasn't the player he is now, but he wasn't then necessarily expected to definitely make it to, to, to where he has, has arrived to. That person that I spoke to last night was incredibly impressed by his ability to learn. Like I think that's one of the things that's maybe underrated about him as well. If he doesn't know something, they were talking in the, in the commentary yesterday about how Solskjaer or presumably one of the coaches at Mould worked on heading with him. Solskjaer apparently, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, apparently he wasn't that good at heading when he was younger despite his size. Now he's amazing at heading and maybe, yeah, the underappreciated part of his game is he's just really good at getting better. Like presumably that's the most important thing if you're a footballer. 
he seems to be super smart. I think he comes across in maybe not super smart, just very intelligent. But there's a there's a thing with the, the theory that footballers aren't smart. Mm. There's a book that um, an ex Norwich player wrote, Paul McVeigh, I think it is, yeah. called the, the the stupid footballer is dead. I think it's a really right. good book, and he talks about how basically all footballers are not stupid. To be able to play at that certain level, you have to have a, a level of certainly emotional intelligence or some sort of intelligence that allows you to understand how to play the game and the way it's played and be able to do that. And he cites, I think in this book, talking about how you might get people you'd think to be not very bright sports fans, yeah. but yet they can list like statistics and and analyze things from this American sports he was focusing on a lot, talking about how they can remember yeah. like how many home runs someone scored in baseball, whatever. Which it's ha- not it's how we value what being smart is. Isn't exactly, it? it's where you fo- where the actual what, what we think in this country based on how we're taught is it's academic, and if you can do maths or if you can like retain important information and pass exams, therefore you are smart. And clearly, that is not always true. No, but then you see this is Holland's brain is working like like a mathematician because you can see the angles are coming in where the ball's going to mm. go where more likely things like there's a lot of patterns in football he's like the meme yeah with, with all the numbers going past his yeah, eyes what's that guy's name <laughs> mm, I don't know I the one the guy from, oh Zach Galifianakis you know between two ferns that guy with all the memes over his eyes anyway never mind yeah. Seb do you think he probably has a big goal bonus agreement in his contract because <laughs> he's presumably <laughs> making a lot of money <laughs> 14 goals in eight games in the Premier League. You'd have thought that would probably be in there somewhere. Oh man, he's going to. I mean, I I, I read that there. You know, there were people who who had made bets at the beginning of the season of him scoring 40. Who, I mean, it doesn't look unlikely now, does it, Seb? No, I don't think so. I think actually, if we go back to some of the things we said earlier in the season about like how you deal with a player who is that big, who's that quick, I still feel like the centre backs who come up against him in this kind of first run of Premier League fixtures and Champions League fixtures players who haven't seen him before, they're still underestimating his physical abilities. Mm. Like the kind of, the margins in which he scores, you can tell that like someone's given him a yard too much of, of grace or someone's pressed a little bit much, uh, a bit much towards him. Who was the, um, who was the player that got kind of ragdolled by him a couple of weeks ago at the, um, at the uh, uh, Etihad Stadium? I forget, it was a centre-back and he just kind of pushed him off like he was a child. I still feel like he's, he's kind of taking advantage of those matchups. And I think what's interesting is, yes, how many goals he scores, but also the second time some of these players face him, what adjustments they've made and allowances they've made to try and negate that. That'll be really interesting because that'll be a coaching technical aspect, which um, which we haven't had the chance to see I think, yet. I think you're dead right. There's like a lot of momentum just now and City are playing really well and it's early days and I think eventually what will happen. There's so many games yeah. you'll have to start getting rotated because I was going to say it's interesting that Check you... out the, the chart that Steve Hanging uh, no, has put in the, the, and tell us about that, JJ, while well, you're talking. Well, there's a chart that's, that uh, we can't show. Can we put it on the podcast? No, no we can. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but it's from Mitchell Sterling. Yeah, it shows that Holland has twice as many goals as any player who went on to score 30 goals in the Premier League. But this is At this point in the season. At this point in the season early on and includes players like Alan Shearer and Andy Cole, all these, all the, all the top lads, Thierry Henry, all the rest of them. Um, I think if you imagine the graph looks like this, and then Holland looks like this, <laughs> and for people just listening, that's a diagonally uh, to forty-five. He scored degree a lot angle, of goals, and then a sixty-degree angle. Yeah. Yes, okay. most had a good start when he came in as well. Yeah. Basically, I think, um, like Seb just said, it'll eventually teams and and other defenders will work out. Not how to stop him, but they'll work out ways to slow Man City down. And, and City will naturally lose some momentum at some point. It always happens in a season. You can't just go all the way through it. They'll have a game where they end up drawing 0-0 or 1-0. When they got held by Aston Villa, wasn't it, the other day? So. Would you care mm. to make a prediction yeah. as to how many Premier League goals he will end the season on, JJ? Uh, over 30, I would have thought. I'm going to predict 43. It's, it's, what? <laughs> That's my prediction. I just think the other, te- other 
there are too many good players and, and, I, and I predict the thing is, 43 Guardiola's not resting them even if he does slow down yeah. he could still get over 40 easily his current rate is on for 60 yeah that'd be good I mean right now like it, after 10 games if he has 15 goals that's virtual. That's really not far off. 60, it's really right? fun. I don't want to like try and put a you pin in the balloon. Give me, give me, a, I love give me a prediction, please. And we'll think, come back to this. Uh, 30, Steve will dig this out. Thirty-six goals. Thirty-six. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you panicked a little yeah. bit. You went. No, no, I think it, I said it'd be over thirty. But Seb, I remember when Sheeter used to be amazing back in the day. I think he slows down after after New Year because I think someone hurts him. I think out of frustration and just out of a lack of options. Uh, like a rugged centre half gets a bit physical. Are at you some thinking point about hurting hurt. him? Don't hurt him, please. Well, in, in his last season at Dortmund, he had a few injuries, and like just because of kind of past precedent, anytime you see a player who is that quick, who moves so well, who's so agile, I always think of original Brazilian Ronaldo. Ronaldo. You always yeah, think yeah. of kind of the, the the stress on the joints, and you, you kind of worry. I'm like JJ, I kind of want the spectacle to go on, but that's in the back of my mind. I think teams who don't have the, the kind of the technical resources to subdue him, eventually someone just starts kicking him. And I but think, what's your number uh, though? Yeah, that's the I main think, thing I want. Yeah, I think he'll get to thirty, and then I think it slows down. So, yeah, but what's your number though? <laughs> thirty-three. Okay, thirty-three for Seb, 33. thirty-six for JJ, yeah. forty-three for me. Uh, what one... do I get at the end of the season when I'm correct? Will you grovel for me? Admiration. Uh, Can I get a little groveling? I'll just go. You were right. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah, that counts yeah. as groveling. You like that? Yeah. yeah. That's one of your favourite things, though, being told that, that you're right about stuff. Yeah, I tell myself it when I go to sleep every night. Yeah. Anyway, um, Phil Foden, who we shouldn't ignore, got the other hat-trick, because there were two hat-tricks in this game. Uh, and uh, apparently, according to Steve Hankey and The Athletic, no, I don't think Steve Hankey I, I did gathered not this news. Yeah. The but, newsman. Uh, he's brought it to me. Uh, according to The Athletic, he's about to sign a new contract at City, which will run until 2027. Foden and Holland are both 22. Yes, they are. <laughs> Good God. Anyway, fine. That's uh, that's Holland. I do want to talk about Jack Grealish as well, the other forward who didn't score in this game. Said because uh, John McKenzie, who can't be here to defend himself, made a video uh, the week just gone, which I thought was an excellent video. And some people disagreed. Those people were wrong, weren't they, Seb? And would you explain why they were wrong and why they're very, very stupid people? Uh, well, I won't explain in those terms. What I would say is it'd be good if some of those people went back to watch the video with the context of Or just of watch the happened. video instead of just... Just watch the video. I, yeah. I, I feel like some of the points that John made were a little bit misinterpreted. It was a bit unfair. So go back and watch it now, and then we'll give you a kind of grace period to adjust, modify, edit comments, grovel to John, tell him he was right. Seb, what did John actually say in, in the video? All jokes aside... So uh, broadly, John was making the case for Jack Grealish and he was kind of measuring his uh, productivity through expected assists. And a lot of people took umbrage with that and were a little bit harsh. I felt Dolores I'm going to go and have a look at the comment sections. A bit unkind, maybe a chance to kind of revisit those and uh, grovel to John. I suppose Sunday's game was a little bit about the vast chasms of space Manchester United left in their midfield and the kind of the chaos of their defensive transitions, which was, I still haven't heard a, decent explanation for why that was allowed to well, happen also, like, I think the, you saw the, the, the beginning I was going to say at the beginning at the very beginning of the game Jack Grealish uh, ran at Malassia was it Malassia or was it no it was Dallow wasn't it no it's down the other side and Dallow just it get, I mean gets a yellow card within the first two minutes of the game uh, Jack Grealish carrying the ball inside I know he didn't score I'm not, I don't know if he assisted in this game or not but like he was undoubtedly excellent in the game wasn't he Jason I thought he was really good with the ball quite a lot of the game that um, some of the players didn't play good Right. Um, 
I don't know who he's referring to. I'm trying to work out who that is. I, I don't, don't know. know. Probably a few mistakes. They scored six goals. Yeah, they did let in three, though, to a At not very end. good yeah. Man United team. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, Manchester City started the game with uh, backup centre-backs and a backup defensive midfielder, uh, but you wouldn't have known in the first half because the ball wasn't in their half. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as though they don't need them. Well, they started really an attack. We covered this in the video that we did in the weekend, um, but... Like City came out on like fully on the attack, just trying like pummel Man United, keep them back in their own half. Yeah, um, United trying to set up on the counter. I think they're trying to play it slow and steady, try and calm the crowd down, frustrate them. That's what they want to do and hit yes. the counter. This all is Manchester players. United. This is what United want to do, yeah. and um, that didn't work because City scored very quickly. They almost scored even quicker than they did without that sequence where there's loads of shots that De Gea mm. was parrying and all that sort of noise. And then what City did once they had the lead. They score the corner and then they start to slow it down and then you just wait and lure Man United out and then exploit the space of that leaves. Yeah. Because United very naive in the setup. And I think is the thing. So when you come in as a manager like Ten Hag, the clearest best system that suits that Man United team is the four two three one that every other manager has used. Yep. That's why there's a reason there, because you get Fernandez as the ten. He's not very effective in midfield as part of a three because he tries too many passes, I think, that give the ball away and turn it over. Yeah. So I I imagine that's why. Then they, I don't know, they struggle in other ways of doing that sort of play. But Ten Hag's teams have normally been a 4 3 3 with a player moving into the 10 space. Yeah. But uh, they are leaving, they're pressing with a front four with that 4 2 3 1. So then the four, the two wide players are not coming back quickly enough. When they do, they're not doing enough defensively. And when, what I mean by that is they're not actually applying any real pressure. They're just sort of there as like a token gesture of looking like they're doing defending. Yes. When actually you need to try and win the ball back or affect it by getting closer and tighter, someone quicker. So Ericsson should have fouled the Bruyne. Roy Keane wasn't on about that on the, the post-match analysis. I think he was dead right. He should have fouled him earlier. And Casemiro would have yeah. had he been the uh, the holding player. Well, let me ask you about that then because um, Scott McTominay continues to start over Casemiro. It sounds like from Ten Hag that he you know just has a policy where a player needs to win their position when they come in. But that doesn't seem to be true for every player that's come in. <laughs> uh, Anthony appears to have walked straight into the, the team as an example. And maybe that's because the, you know, the alternative options there are just not in any way near the same quality that maybe McTominay to Casemiro is there were lots of people speculating before the game that in this scenario it might make sense to have a McTominay Casemiro double pivot but obviously Christian Eriksen was I think player of the month for Manchester United it's made a huge difference having a creative passing player deeper in their midfield it's just not something we've seen for 20 years or maybe well since Michael Carrick I suppose so you can understand I suppose why Ten Hag went with the lineup that he did but that just that one example you already listed exposed like Christian Eriksen is not experienced in that position. And it's not to say that he he can't learn to make that foul, but Casemiro has been doing it at the, at the highest level for a long, long time. Yeah. And and maybe for the sake of like less ability to, to, to play out, wouldn't wouldn't you have played Casemiro? It's a bit odd, isn't it? But Casemiro can still play out. He's a really good player. It's, the, the problem is that no matter who was playing that holding role, they were still left... Like Eriksen, you can see in a lot of the clips, you look back at them... Um, there's a big gap between the back four, the midfield. Uh, I suppose he's a pivot, really, because they're trying to play through him. Mm. So he's the six. But you can you can have someone who can hold that. I mean, they want Frankie de Jong to try and do that sort of role to come deep and play out from the back. It means you've got control of that area, so you can control it. But defensively, you need someone to break up the play. McTominay was really trying to do too much in this game, I think. It made him look like he's playing badly. Yeah, He's out of position, which leaves Ericsson very much exposed for a lot of the goals that City score because they exploit that massive chasm of space in the middle of the pitch. Casemiro may well have made a difference in stopping them in transition, but it's not like they're in transition. That's like a good few seconds later by yeah. the time they're getting to Ericsson in that position. It just maybe the 
Shaper doesn't work. I think it's the wide forwards not defending as much as they probably need to. And you think of the kind of players that like an Alex Ferguson Man United team would have played there. Mm-hmm. They'd have like Ji Sung Park would be one of the forwards, yeah. the wide forwards, because he does the defensive work. Yeah. And then you think of the teams who can I don't know, try you I mean, try and play against Man City, you want to especially away from home, you need to be more defensive really to try yeah. and stop them. Trying, I don't know. <laughs> well, there was some, there were some um, uh, comparisons that were easy to draw between the two derbies, Seb, this weekend. Anthony, uh, as an example of a Manchester United forward player who was who was pretty decent on the ball, not great off it. But overall, uh, Manchester United's forwards did have the opportunity to create something. They had enough of the ball. They just, like Tottenham's players at times uh, in the Arsenal game, they just didn't take it or, or the final pass was was poor or their quality on the ball was was, was poor generally. Um, did it did it feel, I don't know, disappointing for you to, to, to watch that? I mean, it could have been a very different game, I suppose, couldn't it? I suppose so. And I, I suppose one of the, the comments about City this season is, as potent as they have been without the ball, like I think we've all noticed they've been a little bit more fragile without it and that there are goals to find, um, especially with the kind of the, the, the um, defenders they had available. Um, I think the thing that disappointed me was not necessarily that the, the chances they didn't take. It was the, res- the lack of responsibility they had when they were pressing. Like Because when you talk about transition, like at the point where... Kevin De Bruyne is running away from Christian Eriksen in the, around the center circle. That's already mm. too late. That's not a situation which you can rectify with anything other than a, a wild lunge and probably a yellow card. Like what matters is allowing the ball to be chopped into that area and allowing kind of 15 yards either side of someone like De Bruyne. And that's something you've got to be aware of. Like an attacking player, particularly when you go to the Etihad, you're not just there to score goals because you know what you're facing and you know... You know exactly how Manchester City are going to try and build moves. You know exactly how what Guardiola prefers. And yet you still allow it to happen. <laughs> and you allow um, one of the most dangerous attacking midfielders the Premier League has ever seen to do his worst against you. Yeah. Which is just, it's kind of unforgivable. And like, I think you can, Anthony gets a pass because he's still learning. He's still a young player. He doesn't have the excuse of, I mean, he has the excuse of never having faced this opposition in this context in a Manchester derby before. But for some of the other players, like Ericsson, everything you've said about Ericsson is correct. It's just that the way Ericsson was used at Spurs, like he had some of this responsibility. He understood what it was to be part of a high press. He understood what his function was when a midfielder, like an attacking midfielder, forward winger, whatever went past him. Um, He's not like, he's not a resilient ball winner, fair enough. And yet you still see Manchester City players just passing yeah. so easily through the middle of Manchester United's um, midfield. And I, you saw a couple of people in the aftermath say, oh, what can you do? Manchester City are just so good. And I was like, well, yeah, they are. Uh, they're really good and they're loaded with excellent players, but it sure didn't they look don't, difficult. They every team. I mean, it was... like I, I feel like Jonathan Wilson wrote an excellent article for The Guardian on Monday in which he said it was very processional. Like it was, it was kind of scary how easy it all looked. And and I, I kind of disagree with you, with um, Holland's 10 mark in the keep because I... Um, he was brilliant, but I've seen him play better um, for Dortmund, and I've I've been more impressed by his all round performance. Mm. And and yet, kind of the goals he took were sort of um, it felt like the conditions were created for all the Manchester City players to show their best side. I think that's kind of yeah, the point, and really not what you'd expect. But the other thing, Seb, I was thinking is that like I don't think it looks like Ten Hag's team yet, and he's trying to establish all the things he wants to have in there, and that takes time. So yeah. uh, if you then start. Um, 
not being pragmatic is not the wrong kind of phrase to use, but if you start adapting it to someone like Man City, surely enough you have to change from game to game. But you want to try and apply these principles are always going to be there. He wants to be able to press higher up the pitch. If you're pressing higher up the pitch, you need a higher defensive line. But that defensive line is terrified of Erling Holland running in behind. They've also got Foden. One of the goals they score where I think Gundogan runs run straight through the middle of the pitch where they left Eriksen exposed. Yeah. So they've got the, the front four who are pressing but not with any intensity. Uh, and even if they were, City would find a way to pass through them. But if they have a higher defensive line, they might be able to get away with that. But they know that as soon as they bypass that front line, the ball over the top or just a through ball in is going to get them in behind. So they've been forced back by the threat that that poses. So then you want, maybe want to sit deep, like much deeper, and not have a high press, play a mid-block. Like they Pochettino were a bit Spurs between used to. the two, weren't they? Yeah, and I think a lot of it, um, maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of it is players not carrying out the tactical instructions like they've mm. been told and they remember. And in the middle yeah. of this big derby, suddenly you're, like, you're getting passed like all over the place like you're dizzy yeah. from all these quick combinations movements you're down one you're down two you're down three it's like oh it's God. and then your head just goes yeah like, i remember <laughs> i played a game with a team i used to play with 11 aside and uh, the team we were meant to be playing against didn't turn up for like an hour and a half late so uh, what i did was a shaping session to try and learn this three four three formation that we were doing so i get everyone into positions yeah. to know where to be and when when this team turned up they only had i think it was seven players yeah <laughs> And uh, we only went about two goals up because as soon as the fight, the first whistle went, everyone just forgets everything we've been working on in that training. Well, there you go. That's yeah. JJ Ball's prowess as a football yeah. coach. <laughs> yeah, I'm really good at it. The yeah. main reason you... he sat here with me and not in uh, Aberdeen's coaching team. Well, that, that was the thing. And then everyone's like, remember what we learned? Remember <laughs> what JJ <laughs> told us? But this is why I think in the heat of that thing, so Roy Keane, who knows how to play in these games, said that it looks like the occasion got the better of them and they weren't sure. standing up to it. And I think that's what you see in the tactics that Ten Hag's come in like saying, saying Ericsson uh, shouldn't have been marking um, Holland, a very obvious thing at that yeah. corner. What else are they not following out exactly yeah, as they want? Yeah. And it's the kind of thing we're talking about earlier in, in the office is that Man United have done, this, have done this many times before where they start to look good for a little bit and then they revert to type and players don't take the responsibility. They go, ah, gotcha, gotcha yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> the said final, final Do you think, like, I don't think there's a, a more vivid example of that than the first goal because if you think about if you think about if you face Manchester City and you're guarding against one like method of scoring goals, surely yeah. it's that one. It's the cutback and the kind of the drift of the centre forward. Because how many times have you seen exactly that? Like I think um, I remember Sergio Aguero scoring a very very similar goal against Manchester United um, a couple mm. of years ago, and it was almost identical. I think it was Kolarov with the cutback, or maybe Girl Clichy. I, I can't remember, but it's very very similar. And you, you just think that's the thing you got to avoid. Like if if De Bruyne rakes a forty yarder over the top of you and Holland finishes with two touches, then, okay, it's too good. If you allow them those kind of margins so early in the game, you've allowed a wide player to get behind you, you've allowed a centre-forward to get to the byline, and you've allowed Foden to drift off his man. Like, that's kind of... I'm not the finest tactical mind, but I, that feels like concentration. Yeah, yeah. That feels like a kind of... We're, we're not... Either we're not prepared for something or all the things we've done in preparation for this game, we've forgotten, which is kind of what JJ's just said. It's it's hard to yeah. forgive that because it just looks yeah. awful in a game of that okay. magnitude. Well, good to know they're crap again. There we go. <laughs> uh, let's go for a break and then we'll come back and discuss the other large derby. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, host of Handbrake Off, the twice-weekly Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic each week. I'm joined by two of Amy Lawrence, Adrian Clark, Art De Roche, and James McNicholas. What a lineup that is to talk about the best club in the Premier League. This week, join us to bask in the North London Derby glory. And let me tell you, do we bask? <laughs> yes, we do. Come back later in the week on Friday as we look ahead to another massive tussle with Liverpool and look to keep the number one firmly by our name. Search for Handbrake Off now, available wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you could hit follow to make sure you keep up with the best team, that's us covering the best team. That is Handbrake Off. So good, we made it twice. Yes, returning from a lovely break, and a returning to tell you that a book is here. Oh, listen to that sound. That oh, ASMR. That yeah. This is really great. Oh, that's delightful. Podcast. The book is called How to Watch Football, written by Tifo, mostly Seb. Uh, but everyone here is involved in somewhere or another. I mean, JJ, you're involved, but in many ways, it feels like a condolence to tell you that, doesn't it? Because uh, Seb yeah. wrote the book, really, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and Alice drew it all. Good job. Now we've heard about your your coaching anecdote. Otherwise, none, everything you've written here wouldn't stick, would it? No, no, people would read it and then forget, much like I do. We did win that book. game. You won that game. Yeah, very impressive, but not in the way you told. Them I scored. To. I scored a penalty. Well, do you know when I scored a penalty? An open goal when we designed this book. Uh, How to Watch Football, uh, illustrated by all the illustrators at TIFO, overseen by uh, Alice, and mostly written by Seb, including uh, chapters from uh, everybody else, all of the people you like at TIFO. It's a fantastic, so exciting. And it's published by a particular books, which is a, a, one of the Penguin publishing houses. It will be bigger than this, but it is available to pre-order. Uh, already on the internet uh, there's links in the uh, in the if you're watching this on youtube there'll be a link below there's a link in the rss feed uh, description ian wright says he loves it well he says he loves tifo he hasn't <laughs> seen the book yet but i think he will like it <laughs> i think he'll love it more than tifo if he loves tifo he's gonna love how to watch football uh 52 rules for understanding the beautiful game on and off the pitch please do get that though because um it, it fits perfectly in a stocking yeah Or a bookshelf. Or a bookshelf, yeah. Anyway, there we go. Right, let's move on to discuss the North London derby. Arsenal 3, 1 Tottenham Hottenspur. JJ, Arteta, you said, looks like a genius because Arsenal won the game. But this is, correct me if I'm wrong, one of those scenarios where the possibility of a different outcome in the game was greater than it might immediately appear. Yes. Yes. We did a video on this after the game as well. And what we said in it is that there's two teams of very clear tactical identities, but very opposite. Mm. And Conte's plan, 
I think from the very start was to sit deep and then like a 5-4-1 absorb pressure and then counter the space that Arsenal would have to leave by pushing mm. and playing the nice lovely passes in the final third that they were always going to play uh, it's very distracting when you do other things like that. <laughs> I'm Sorry, to I was just going to get the book on the floor. That's fine. So anyway, so that's what they're doing, and they had really good chances in that first half to score. They were because they had lots of space to run into. That was a good thing that yes. they did. But had Arsenal not scored that goal from 25 yards with the space that was left in the edge of the area in front of the midfield line of Spurs, mm. then it could have been a whole different story. It really could have been a whole different story, Seb. And let me ask you this: um, I've lost my place in the plan because I wasn't paying attention, but uh, it could have gone either way, Seb. <laughs> <laughs> It could have done, and yeah, JJ JJ's right though. I think I think what's worked for Tottenham this season is not playing well, but at the same time not giving up like high percentage chances. So they've conceded shots on goal, but not from good areas in kind of expected goals parlance. And the trouble with that is that when it goes wrong, when you say to uh, a midfielder, right, have a go from twenty five yards, and we're going to defend like two rows of of table football Mm. players, basically. Um, it looks a bit silly. Um, but at the same time, like they got themselves back in the game and uh, but for a few bad choices on the break, they might have got more than one goal. I think the problem it creates, and actually Jack Pitbrook wrote an excellent article on this um, uh, for The Athletic over the weekend, is it requires a level of precision which is betrayed when your goalkeeper drops, drops a clanger and when your fullback, wingback gets himself sent off needlessly. Like These aren't excuses. These are just the facts of it. It's... If you aim towards that perfection, if you have to defend perfectly, you can't survive those kind of mistakes. And so the question for Conte becomes, like, is that the right approach with this group of players? Mm. Because they're not a perfect group of players. You haven't got like three 80 million pound centre-backs and you haven't got perfect wing-backs. And you're without probably, I'd argue, um, one of your most creative wide forwards is in Kolosowski as well. And I don't know. So there are questions about the game plan, but it was, um, yeah, it was really disappointing. I think um, like some of the mental parts of what happened were very, very disappointing. Mm. Like I, I think some of the defending was pretty good, but it's not really good enough if you're going to sit that deep. And I remember thinking, I remember seeing in the first half after about sort of, it was before the first goal was scored. Spurs had all 11 players within the final 40 yards of the pitch. And it's just like, okay. But then you have to be perfect from that point because the trade-off for a supporter, especially in a derby is you can tolerate a lack of ambition, but you can't tolerate then making a mess of it and then having nowhere else yeah. to go once you find it. It's exactly a game where hole. if Spurs do get a goal on the break, so say they have the penalty, right? Um, and there's not the first goal from uh, the Arsenal score there. I can't remember who scored it. Um, so if Kane has scored that first goal, and then they just defended it out. They'd say it's defensive masterclass. For that Ponte. was exactly what I yeah. thought when I was yeah. watching it. And also, 100%. what was obvious was that Spurs had lots of opportunities, similar to Manchester United, to to create something. Uh, but the forward players were mostly bad during yeah, the game. They, kept making they, bad they were poor on yeah. the ball. The decision making was bad. Um, yeah. Seb, did you notice the absence of Kulusevski? It, do, it did feel like a game that he would be ideal for. 100%. Like Kulisevsky in that three is the contrast. So he's the player that's completely mm. different to the others. And not just because he's left-footed. Like you have Kane, everything that he does, um, the sort of slightly diminished version of Son yeah. min at the moment, who's a very direct player. Um, okay, he's kind of two-footed. Kulisevsky plays in a... Like he plays in these sort of great sways forward. Like he's a he's a great carrier of the ball. Like And also like when he, when he cuts in... Um, in field onto his left foot he's got a really nice range of not just creative passing but the sky's passing too so you're like he's, he's your guy that's gonna cut balls into the penalty box um without him 
it becomes a whole lot more predictable. And that's not really a judgment on any of the three players you started. It just becomes a bit more sort of take yeah. what you can. And um, in his defense, Richarlison managed to mine a penalty out of the situation. Like he you know, it was a sort of, um, you know, a broken bit of play in the penalty box, managed to get himself between the ball and Gabriel and get a penalty out of it. But that kind of defined the fact that Spurs weren't really playing with the ball. It was, they were taking what they could from Arsenal mistakes. And kind of, there was that, um, after the penalty, especially, Arsenal seemed to lose their way. Um, and that extended into the second half when um, you saw Romero go forward from yeah. centre-back and right he to the edge of the penalty twice, box. He did that once in the first half as well. He does that. That's that's part of his tactical function in the system is to provide another body up there because he's yeah. a good footballer. And then that's fine and Arsenal is struggling to deal with it. And then a couple of minutes later, um, uh, Hugo Lloris lets one through his legs and uh, Jesus scores, which is, I, it's worth noting, like, as good a goalkeeper as, mm. as Loris has been over the years, he does this in, in big games an awful lot. He makes, if you go back and look at some of the mistakes and some of the opposition, those mistakes occur against. Well, I was going to say, is it, I mean, um, you know, is this kind of too much of an issue now for him to still be the number one? He's the France goalkeeper. I, I, I don't feel like it's too much of an issue because it's an issue which Hankey has never grown. Down. Please don't, every time I say something, I'm just saying what Steve Hankey says and then I feel judged by your responses. Well, earlier you were saying stuff that was good and then you were saying it. Well, if it was good, then I I think it's it a fair myself. point. If it's bad, then it's, Steve, it's a fair Steve point. Hankey's and you, highlighted it in the plan. I'm just, you know, I wish everyone could see the plan. I didn't mean that. Anyway, go on. Like, Lloris has always been the same goalkeeper though he's always been the guy that can make brilliant saves and have really yeah. really good games and no doubt he's in credit over the course of his Tottenham career he's, he's, he's a wonderful right, goalkeeper the problem is is that there are just far too many games against big sides um, where he concedes soft goals and um, you can't do that no. at that point of the game in that game uh, with that kind of player around because it's always going to cost you and from that point obviously um, things unraveled red card game's over um, and that's your captain. So it's it's really harsh, but then it's a harsh, you know, North London derby is a harsh world. So You said he won. Um, JJ's yeah, whispering in the background here that he won the World Cup. Yeah, well, Pele won the World Cup. And would you have him play well, in goal he, for he, Spurs? He, yeah. You would? Okay. He, he did, but he made an absolute clangor in the World Cup final. Um, and, like, if, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not suggesting that he's kind of. Um, that he he's particularly beaten. vulnerable to pressure yeah. situations, but but it's a Which massive. I think we can all agree that, that there's often one person on a team that lets the whole team down, <laughs> and I think we all know who that is on this team. Steve Hankey, Arsenal fan, who showed up this morning delighted that you'd won, and now trying to get that trying to get me to embarrass myself saying stuff about Lloris. I hate to bring it back to the book, guys, <laughs> but I will because uh, chapter forty-five of the book, football is always evolving. The story of the number ten position, Seb. And, of course, the number 10 position has evolved wildly over time. Um, but one of the things I thought after I'd read this interesting and fascinating book, How to Watch Football by Tifo, you can find it on Amazon. It hey, that's beautifully, beautifully designed, designed, that book. That one looks lovely. One of the things lovely. I thought when I was reading this book over the weekend uh, was uh, interesting to see that different types of creative players you have in football teams now. Granite Xhaka, for example, who three years ago not only was being booed off by his own fans, but also was not doing what he does on a football pitch now as advanced as he does, Seb. Yeah, I, I I would also factor in a little bit of maturity there because I think the thing that has let Granit Xhaka down an awful lot during these games is a sort of um, like an overhype. Yeah. Um, he's made some very, very poor decisions in the, in the North London derby before. He's made some bad tackles. He has been positionally ill-disciplined. And I felt like in, in keeping with this kind of um, uh, full circle 
uh, aspect to his career now those are all the things that were good about his performance over the weekend i thought he was um mm. thought he was excellent it's too much granite jacket is a bad yep. thing um and so moderate moderate um, jacket properly proportioned out granite jacket is a good thing you get to see his strengths his passing like his long range shooting um and actually a word that we don't well, I don't think I've ever used in connection with Granit Xhaka mm. responsibility like Arsenal's left side was absolutely brilliant against Spurs roasted like um, Martinelli was just fantastic against Emerson Royale and a big part of that is the stability that Xhaka provides on that side um, Zinchenko's there as well yes but like you don't have that functionality without someone doing the role that he did um, so yeah he was he was excellent I think he was Arsenal's mm. best player actually okay. on Saturday I agree with this yes just this book is so good you should get it. Anyway, uh, what is next? Oh, Gabriel Jesus. Let's talk about Gabriel Jesus, uh, please, JJ, because uh, he's good, isn't he? But if I'm being extra harsh, and I am being, just for the purpose of this, and just to be clear for listeners at home, these, these are my words, not Steve Hankey's. If we're being extra harsh, there were a couple of sort of quite good opportunities in the game that he didn't take. And I wanted to ask you, you know, when we're expecting him to be running across defenders in the six-yard box like Erling Haaland does, are we asking too much of a player that also has many other roles on the pitch as well like is he doing stuff elsewhere that prevents him from being in the place where i want him to be to score to snuffle up those lovely goals yes okay what, what what's that well what he does is that they they rotate a lot of the, that front five so the, the the whoever you have along the front five you have um jack and odegaard will be slightly deeper usually than jesus you'd think through be through the middle but often martinelli goes through the middle there as a central forward and jesus drops out to the left he comes into midfield sometimes as well mm. i think it's um something they'll improve on in time it'll they'll work out when he should be in the box at certain times to be able to finish those moves but someone yeah. whether him martinelli or saka even should be the one that's finishing the ball that's fired across the sharp box like what holland was doing for man city yeah because uh, it's similar in their shape, but they have two wide wingers who get one v one with the the fullbacks or wingbacks, and then Spurs are trying to make that two v one, so then they have to put the ball into the the middle, so they're passing it about lots. Um, the passing maps are quite fun because you can see that Arsenal were just going sideways, 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 sideways in the final thirds because yeah. they were getting caught with it. The passing maps were very cool. Yeah. I, so sometimes I think, by the way, lots of people listen to our podcast that who have no idea who we are or what we do otherwise. If you if you go on YouTube and you look at Tifo IRL or Tifo Football, you can choose between some lovely on-camera videos of, of largely JJ and John McKenzie analysing the football immediately after games have occurred. On, on, on Illustrated, you'll find many of Seb's delightful scripts which have been animated by our team. All sorts of interesting stories. I often I forget to do that because I know people will find us here through uh, you know, the Spotify search or the Apple search or the internet search, uh, and will have not ever watched one of our videos before, oh, yeah. JJ. I guess so. Yeah. Well, they should do that then. Anyway, um, William Saliba, ooh, he did a nutmeg in the opposition box. I very much enjoyed that. And according to James McNicholas, so says Steve Hankey, hot off the press, so says Steve Hankey. Uh, when asked about a new contract after this weekend's game, so says Steve Hankey, Saliba said, we will see. They talk a little bit. We will see. <clears throat> That's hot off the press. Yes, I mean, it's just new contract talk that they might sign a contract. Mm, but point. the press is so warm on that. It yeah, won't be by the time this is do. released. Like, no. who's, I mean, either he's... Uh, would you prefer a cold press? I can give you one. Uh, the cold press would be Seb 
uh, Tottenham fans, I have noticed, have been a little frustrated this season that Antonio Conte appears very reluctant to make substitutions. He Anconio. made five in one go. What did I call him? Anconio. Anconio Conte. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ice cream version of him, you know. Yes. Antonio Conte, he seems very reluctant to make substitutions, Seb. He made five in one go in, in this game. A little unusual. Nearly five. And then he made a fifth one yeah. shortly afterwards. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think that was really about they're playing Eintracht Frankfurt in the Champions oh. League on Tuesday night and he knew the game was yeah. over. So he took off, you know, important players. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the thing about that is I, I do agree. Like, it's frustrating. But at the same time, I think talk of Tottenham's depth has been a bit exaggerated. Like, at, up front, yeah, they have Richarlison and that's great. Um, it's a little bit bare elsewhere. Um, particularly because uh, Oliver Skip is coming back from injury. Yves Basuma, um, Antonio Conte has spoken before about how he hasn't quite adjusted to the kind of the tactical disciplines that are expected of him. So he's, um, Conte clearly doesn't quite trust him yet. Um, I suppose he could change his fullbacks, but then also like you've got a player sent off. So I don't know. Like uh, Conte's system works on automatisms, familiarity, chemistry, doing the same thing yeah. again and again and again. Like I, I, I get the frustration, but I also understand why you'd want to use the same small group of players um, week in and week out yeah. if you can. Um, so yeah. Do you know what else I noticed in this game? What's that? I know it's a derby, so they'd be they'd be uh, boisterous anyway, mm. the fans. But the Arsenal crowd make a lot of noise, and they often don't do that. And it was, yes, it was, and they were trying no, to make I sure they keep that. the crowd up. Yeah, I want, and I didn't mean. I don't mean this is any disrespect to to Arsenal fans or the Emirates, but I've noticed this season, and maybe some of last season. I think they're turning the mics up. I think they've done that since since COVID happened and since fans were out of the stadium because it is louder than it used to be when you watch on TV. Well, they might have the bed the bed noise underneath. That's it what as well. I mean. Like yeah. I think secret source for Sky Sports. I wonder if in derbies particularly. They just turn the crowd noise up a little bit more. It makes it more exciting. It does. And the the commentator's voice comes down a little. You're struggling to hear them because of the atmosphere. I I honestly wonder if that... Because someone's in charge of of the volumes. Yeah, you want nice, bright, contrasting colours. It's one of the things that they think the Premier League is one of the best leagues to watch is because the colour of the grass. Mm. Because it's very green. So you get really strong colours. I mean, what I've realised, what I like most about football... Is the nice bright shiny colours, nice, shiny colours, <laughs> and the sound. I think that's what I like, like about you. it. Yeah. yeah, it's just like a. I've been watching sort the, of raven. the Welcome to Wrexham series, and one of the things they do pretty early on in that is uh, find out that the the entire pitch that they've just replaced it doesn't work, so they need to replace it again, oh, and they yeah. let you know how much it costs to do that. And bear in mind, this is National League, so I would expect that a Premier League pitch costs a lot more. But do you want to guess how much it costs to replace an entire pitch in the National League? Four hundred grand. It's a hundred grand. Oh. Well, you guys have really overread the pudding there. <laughs> yeah, I so ruined in the well, Kevin Bridges thing. It's a hundred thousand pounds, a lot of money though, isn't it? Did you yeah. really think it would be four hundred grand, or were you just guessing big because I was making it sound? No, big? that's because I did a bunch of research into pitches once when I was at the Telegraph. So maybe the Premier League pitch costs around that. You yeah, could, I think you it costs an awful lot more. I think in, when Aberdeen replaced the pitch, it cost about four hundred right. grand. You guys anything. are the worst people to anyway, do a guessing thing game podcast with. I think we should not escape our attention mm. is this new song that um, Arsenal keep playing before mm. games. What's they're trying. Well, Arteta's trying to make them have a "You'll Never Walk Alone" song. He's trying to make a song whole. Have you heard it? No. And it's, <laughs> North London Forever, isn't it? Yeah. It's in What's the whole North London. Well, it's, it's um. Oh, it's that yeah. song. Under Wasn't that forever. the one from from the series? From the series yeah. that that guy wrote. Yeah. Is he trying to make that the song now? Arteta thinks so. He's because remember he's making them train with the "You'll Never Walk Alone" blasting yeah, it. So they're trying to force this on it. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work. But like the thing with that song, it's obviously from a musical. It's Rodgers and Hammerstein, isn't yeah. it? And it's. It's, it's it's a very lovely song with sentiment that you can then attach to the club. Sure. You can't just force like. Can I tell you? Whatever, something? Here's whatever. a good anecdote for you. Though, right? <laughs> yeah. When I was a younger man, 
well, around 10 years ago, I went on a, on a, <laughs> on a bus holiday, yeah? Uh-huh. But a bus holiday of Western Canada, British Columbia. Oh, lovely it was. I saw all the sights. I saw uh, bears and uh, maple syrup and other things that Canada has to offer. Lovely place. Anyway, uh, on day one, I was with, uh, with my sister Alice and a bunch of other people on this tour. It was Kentucky Tours. It was not a sponsorship, of course. <laughs> not, a, not a sponsorship, of course. But uh, Kentucky Tours, they only allow people, or at least they did at the time, a 35 and under to go on the tour. So it's like a young person's tour. And I'm given to understand that uh, some of the Kentucky tours around this sort of Greek island area, a little fruity. You know? I have no idea where this is going at all. <laughs> well, hold on. This is good, right? Uh, it, ours wasn't like that. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a sort of sexy romp holiday. It was just a nice holiday of the western coast of Canada. But the, I, the reason I say that is because that company was potentially, no, young people on, the, on a bus. What's going to happen? Young people on a bus. What's going to happen? You know? Sex. Anyway, that didn't happen. That's not what the story's about. The story's not about that. I was in Western Canada on a bus. And the first day, on a coach, I should say, the first day, uh, the coach uh, uh, tour leader, um, a very nice woman, she said, I'm going to play a song now. And we're going to play this song at the beginning of every day on the coach. And I looked at Alice and then we were like, oh, cynical, broken young people. We said, this is going to be rubbish. And they played B-52's Rome. I don't know if either of you have heard this song. But uh, anyway, the lyrics are, Rome if you want to, roam around the world, right? And just based on that sentence, you can imagine how shit the song is, right? The first day I was listening to this, I thought, oh, this is the worst. What have I done? I've spent so much money. I'm 21 years old. I've come on this holiday and they're going to play this fucking song every day. And I, Alice and I were just looking at each other thinking, this is the worst. By day six or seven of this tour... We were stood in the aisle singing Rome if you want. It totally works. You can force music on people. You just need to do it long enough so that it, you know, you go through yeah. the stage where it's annoying and cynical. Then you go through the irony stage and then you get to the stage where all the irony is lost and you're just enjoying the song. Because it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. There's the thing. It'll have history in a hundred years and they're still playing it. I fully support it. I just think you should change it to Rome if you Did want you, to. You see B-52s? Is it the one the ones they sang Love Shack and Rock Lobster? <laughs> Is that the one? Yeah. Right. If they played Rock Lobster before every Arsenal game, I'm into that. I'd love that. That'd be the best. It was was Louis Dunford, who's an Arsenal fan, who organically wrote North London Forever's song. And it was like a viral video. Um, Do you wait for Arsenal? No, he just wrote it. He's a sort of um, musician of his own right sort of thing. Yeah, I've seen that. And it got picked up online. And yeah, Mikel Arteta, who's been trying to force, part of the culture change at the club, has partly been bringing the fans on side. And... Um, this is a quite symbolic thing, part of that as well. So it has been a organic thing originally amongst Arsenal fans sure. that has actually been embraced by the club. Like, yeah. See, I don't want to like, just pour water over it. Stop that's a cold, cold water. Well, nice. I, but the thing I dislike about it, maybe you'll understand this. The technical like point of the songwriting is uh-huh. it's that easy. Like if you pick, it, you start putting chords in the piano. It's just like the dun dun dun. It's the things you'd Are always you always naturally reviewing the song. Yeah. Don't do that. Because it's too basic. And then you think of what what Never Work Alone is. It's very, like, it's a a show song. It's a show to you. So it's really cleverly written and there's clever progressions. So you're saying the guy who wrote this song is a shit guy and did a shit song. <laughs> no, that's what you're saying. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Yeah. I bet he's it sounds great. like you're critiquing the song. But it's too Surely easy. Surely that's not the thing. It's too it? basic. Is it? Yeah. Well, you could say that about every Oasis song. I mean, I've written loads of songs that are awful, so what am I talking about? That is true. I have yeah. heard some of your songs. <laughs> yeah, some some good ones as well, though. Uh, yeah. Very few. <laughs> that one about the frog. Anyway, yeah. um, let's have a break now because I feel like we are overrunning in this show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Ah, we've returned now, of course. Liverpool 3. 3, Brighton and Hove Albion. Very exciting. Um, overperforming XG, JJ. I want to ask you about this because uh, we had a question in from uh, Jan Kleeman, uh, who says, I don't really get the expected goal stuff. I mean, this statistic only says how many good chances are being created, doesn't it? It doesn't account for those who are taking the chances. And what I notice I've done is jumped quite far ahead in the plan and com- convened two things that aren't supposed to be convened. Um, but uh, so let's just ignore everything I've just said. Well, you can attach and, to this because Liverpool are slightly. But I'm going to attach it to something better later, okay. and I'm going to do this whole thing again. Okay. What am I saying about this? JJ overperforming XG is that just a separate thing? I certainly am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, okay we're back from break. Liverpool three, three Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, there's a sort of thing, uh, uh, Seb. I'll come to you. Uh, there's a thing at the moment that, that pundits are sort of saying, which is, ah, Liverpool, there or thereabouts come the end of the season. You know, not, not worried about Liverpool. They've got good players. They are 10 points behind Man City, uh, and they are not showing a huge number of uh, improvements uh, in, 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 as game-to-game goes. Would you be worried that this is more than just a sort of early season blip if you were a Liverpool fan? I think if I were, it would be because you do see some very strange things in that defence at the moment, don't you? Um, you see okay so individual mistakes and I think everyone's favorite thing to do is to kind of highlight everything that Trent Alexander-Arnold does wrong without the ball sure but then you see odd moments like for uh, the second Trossard goal you see Simicus's positioning which is bizarre Um, you see kind of the goalkeeper not standing up to shots that he would Otherwise, in different seasons, have probably saved. And it feels like, I, I can't diagnose that properly, but it feels like there's been a kind of collective confidence mm. failure. Um, people seem to have lost trust in each other to do the jobs that they're supposed to be doing. Um, and I don't know. I don't know whether there's an opposition element to it too, in which like you have that kind of self-fulfilling moment where a team starts to believe that they can score goals against another team and so commit a few more members uh, forward. That's probably a question for JJ. But the more you watch Liverpool, the more you feel like, at least without the ball, it really isn't the same. Like it, there's a there's a vulnerability, particularly not not necessarily um, not necessarily behind the defence and in the kind of the gaps between centre back, full back, and the two centre backs. But in that area in front, you see a lot of weird, little sort of impulsive moments, a lot of kind of um, snatchy, reactive defensive moments, which. Uh, would really unsettle yeah. if you're a fan. And JJ, just briefly on the ball as well, you've noticed that there are some differences to last season. So it's not just a defending thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, so they are. So Liverpool are creating roughly the same amount of shots per ninety as they were shot creating actions per ninety as last season. Um, they're overperforming their xG slightly uh, this season, which is 
it's a, probably a sign of they have good players that are scoring the goals they're supposed to. They're overperforming their XG. They are slightly, yeah. Um, I think a lot of that could be the Bournemouth game where they put loads of goals past them with a slightly low XG. But correct me if I'm wrong, yes. but wouldn't you expect a very very good team who were who were getting poor results to potentially be underperforming their XG? And you would think, oh, it's cool when they when they you know bounce back to the to the average, they'll be getting better results. Uh, yeah. It's a little concerning, isn't it? Well, they're well, you'd be concerning if they're. Um, well, there's two ways to look at this. So they're, they're expected goals against. I think they're just slightly either under or over. I can't remember which it is. But basically, it's round, it'll round out that, that number they've got there. So they're not doing anything particularly wild. What they are doing much less this season is... Uh, so last season, they were top in the Premier League for pressures in the attacking third. So for the, so they're always top. Uh, and this season, they are considerably down. I think they're around about 11th in the table for that. So that, uh, I think, can only be something that they've decided to do uh, tactically on the training ground. Yeah. And it could be possibly to do with the World Cup year coming up and also how many games you're playing. So it's hard to keep that relentless, intense press up. Yes. I mean, Sadio Mane not being there anymore might be relevant as well, but Luis Diaz is a good player and can, can work these sorts of situations. Yeah. Um, but it, if you're not pressing as well from the front, what's one of the things they're meant to be best at? You're allowing the opposition more of the ball and then they can get at them. And then they've spotted weaknesses in Alexander-Arnold, which have be really coming to to point and Van Dyke's been really poor as well yeah they've had lots of troubles at centre back so I mean the right centre back is swapped an awful lot so Van Dyke's always on the left but they've had Joe Gomez playing they've had Nat Phillips played one of the games and they've had um, Joel Matt's been back Mm. but I looked at this and it's hard to do explaining it without showing on the tactics board we did that in a video in TFO IRL Mm. where I've shown the distance that keeps being created between the right centre-back and the left centre-back, which is to do, I think, a lot of the time to cover for Alexander-Arnold's positioning, which is always really high. Intentionally so. Intentionally. He's not, he's not doing anything wrong. Yeah. But then he's been caught out. And when they get back in defensive situations, they're not doing it as quickly as they need to. And it's... Yeah. Uh, it's just, they just look not as good. They're not intense. That Pep Linder's book, I've been reading that. It's really, yeah. it's really interesting. He's their assistant coach. That's right, yeah. And he's written this book and he says he's telling all the truth. We're oh. not going to leave anything out. All of the truth. Um, yeah. And he always, yeah, there's loads of things that are funny in it. Anyway, but the um, what he says is their identity is their intensity. And I think they've lost that little bit this season. And uh. so that's why they're just not coming up the way they should be. A fine summary there from JJ Bull. Moving on, uh, Fulham won for Newcastle. I bring this up for two reasons, JJ. Firstly, to uh, to say a stunning Almiron goal, assisted by Bruno Guimaraes. What a peach. Uh, the volley that he puts in from a weird angle. A potentially goal of the season contender. That could well be, yeah. There's been yeah. lots of good goals this season so far. Delightful. The other reason I bring it up is because uh, I noticed uh, in Match of the Day, they said uh, that this game, in, in this game, Newcastle had over four expected goals. I actually um, asked the, the the head bods at the Athletic to provide me the numbers from Octo. They were slightly different because obviously there are different models. But it is, uh, so far, of, of all games this season, the highest amount of XG created by one team. Newcastle with 3.5 five expected goals according uh, to Opta against Fulham we should note here that in the second place is Liverpool against Bournemouth um, it was 3.32 expected goals they scored nine goals in that game well so that's where I think the, maybe the, the difference in XG comes for Liverpool is that one game it's possibly just yeah. that right uh, also a note in here Man City Man United is fourth 3.3 but speaking of XG, we had a question from Jan Kleiman, uh, who says, I don't really get the expected goals stuff. I mean, this statistic only says how many good chances are created, doesn't it? It doesn't account for who takes the chances. And he goes on to use an example of, of Lewandowski, JJ, uh, that would presumably overperform XG because he's better than other strikers. Is that the case? Um, it, it's sort of complicated, I think. It's sort of complicated. Yes, sort of. Yes, because yes. In, in a way, no, because the, the model should be that 
you can apply it to everyone and then certain players are so good that they can break that model. That's why you get players like Lewandowski, Messi, Kane, Holland yes. tend to score over their XG. So they sort of break the model by uh, repeatedly so scoring over it. Yeah, And that's yeah. how you measure really elite players. But most players will balance out. Some will have a good game where they score over and they'll, some of them will miss yeah. in different sort of games. Um, but it's to do with, it's not a perfect model, it's to help you analyse a game. It's not, yeah. you can't rely on it. XG from an individual game isn't particularly useful always, is it? It's, uh, it's it can... a good descriptor of how many chances a team created in a game, but really yeah. over the course of the season is better. I mean, the bigger the data set, the better. Is that not the thinking? I think the bigger the data set, always the better for yes. for those sorts of analyses. But the idea is then that you can work out who's really got control of a game and who should maybe have scored it. Like, so Arsenal Spurs, I'm not sure what the difference was, but... Like Spurs would have created clear chances. Even though it looks like Arsenal are dominating the game because they've got all the possession, all the ball, maybe mm. the clear chances are created by the team playing the counter-attack games. Yeah. I think of the teams in the past who've beaten, like, so the BFA Cup games where, like, uh, Wrexham or Chesterfield or something like that yeah. will have beaten a big team, like Leeds or whatever. Yeah. And they've done it by sitting deep, absorbing all this pressure, but the other team can't score because there's no chances of having to shoot from long range, which is low XG, but then they have one chance at the other end and they get a 0.8 XG. So it ends yeah. up being, like, a 0.8 to 0.3, and you can see... Uh, they've created the chance from that. So there's there's no right way to play no. in a game. We just actually released a video. It was written by John McKenzie on the TIFO Football Channel about um, penalties, Seb, and how they're potentially overrated, in which I learned that the XG from the penalty spot in a penalty situation is 0.78, which is pretty much the highest you can get, right? Yeah, because I, I think um, we made the point in that video that sort of most good chances, like what could be considered a good chance, is kind of 0.6 yes. XG. Um, and the disparity with the penalty um, conversation is that um, most of, like, I, I'm not sure how John calculates it, but the area where most penalties are conceded has an XG value of about yeah. 0.3. Um, oh, so I think it was, it was also it was lower than that, wasn't it? It was like 0.06. Anyway, watch the video. I can't remember. But I think it was lower than what you said. <laughs> I think things is higher than that. But yeah, like it's, um, let's, yeah, let's you watch the video in the middle. And discuss Tiago Silva read and his. Book. Oh, read the book. It's not in this sample, but there is a whole chapter on XG in this book and a chapter yeah. on XGA. Is there? <laughs> no, that one was cut. Okay. But the XG one is in there. Very good. There was. There was. There was. Yeah, but once we, the time, thing is, we, it was, we it cut was... good chapters to make space for just the highest quality yeah. of chapter 52. I mean, that really does describe how, how precise and lean. Let me just take a be. random page of this book. And read to you a line. Ah, in chapter 17, know your influence is Helenio Herrera. Yeah? This is one for the history bods out there. Catenaccio, the Italian word for door bolt, has become a byword for defensive, even negative football. Yes! Look at the things you're going to learn in the book. And that's just a bad example, because I fear I may have made people less likely to buy it. It's not all about the past. Most of it's about now. But anyway, that's how to watch football. Available for pre-order now on all good book websites and shops uh, Tiago Silva handball incident JJ have you seen this did you hear about this <laughs> yeah I have seen this yeah I'll describe it for the listeners Please at do. home Tiago Silva sort of slips over he's arguably I think the last man he's on the floor lying on his side um, and uh, and Jordan Ayew is trying to get past him with the ball. Uh, Tiago Silva stretches an arm out and sort of grabs it and then tries to pull it towards him. I mean, it's a c- cynical handball. He does it on purpose, and uh, he's trying to stop the break. Kick? Is it a free kick to Palace? Is that what happens? It's a yellow card to Jordan Ayew, uh, to, 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 to Tiago Silva, and uh, then it's a free kick to Palace mm. is given for that. Oh, well. um, they then review it for VAR, 
uh, and they maintain that the yellow was enough. But I think if 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 uh, if he doesn't knock it with his hand and keep it, the Palace are in. I think it's the last man. I don't. Th- I don't think the other defender is getting back. I know. I don't want to drag. Maybe we should go back in time and make them play it again. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wish you'd said this when we put it in the plan instead of doing this but in I didn't. the podcast. <laughs> I've been in and out of paying attention to what you said to me. All day. Yeah. <laughs> Having seen that though, yeah. Don't you? Th- aren't you outraged? I want. I want to get a little bit of outrage on this show. We could have. We could use some I good don't... sort of fiery opinions sometimes. Shh. I don't, if it was like Aberdeen versus Rangers, you I see those really other care. shows. They've got the outrage. Have you seen those ones? I could, I can give you rage. You seen those seen ones, those. Seb? Yeah. Give me a little. I want a little bit yeah. of outrage. Yeah. It's a disgrace. That'll do. That'll do. Jan Lucas Gamaka's uh, second start for West Ham. First goal in the game against uh, Wolves. Lovely bit of control. You can see him causing some problems there. Also, I want to mention in, the, in that game, of which I don't know the result, uh, Diego Costa made his debut, coming on after 30 minutes. Bruno Large has been sacked. Other things I could say. Oh, Everton are unbeaten in six games, JJ. They certainly are. I mean, that's impressive, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't I, have thought that. Apparently, Connor Cody has helped. Yes, yeah, so I've not analysed them enough to, to be able to say that, so I'm not going to just... Sure. Say they're good or not yet. Seb? It's got better. Hey, Alex Awobi has played very, very well all season. So, you and yeah, I said so that, that thing that we saw in the first game, game we like did. to say, I was We right. did. It's, it, was, it has held up as one of the better parts of Everton's yeah. season uh, so far. It's only been a few games, but I'm he has very played very well. Him. That's nice. Um, and the final thing to say, Seb, is that Barcelona have apparently only conceded one goal in La Liga. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, ridiculous. Also, um, Real Madrid, I think, I'm right in saying, are yet to uh, have a, a clean sheet um, or are yet to over a significant period of time. They drew at home with Osasuna on Sunday night, I think, 1-1. Yeah. So um, a few problems well, there, maybe which is interesting. To- we didn't really expect that to be the way it played no, out. No, we didn't. And maybe to learn more about that, one might read chapter seven of the book. Learn to spot the difference between zonal and I think and I'm less likely game. to buy the book now. <laughs> But but what if you, you knew that you could learn the difference between zonal and player marking with lovely pictures? Hey, you buy the book then? Should we know? Yeah, you're such a bad friend. <laughs> okay, the final thing before we go today, FIFA. You've played the game FIFA. Let's let's do that. That product will definitely sell. FIFA twenty three. Yes. Yeah, I played it for a couple of days in a row. I really enjoyed it. And what, then, what about it? Good. It just felt like a really good fun game. What I like most about it is that it feels like. So one of the things I used to like about the old Pro Evo games is that it was definitely a video game. Mm. You don't have to take it too seriously. I know this is hard to do for a lot of people because they're trying to make it their job now. Oh. Yeah, you know. Yes. I mean. But um, it like funny things happen. There are collisions which are funny, like a goalkeeper goes into someone and then they go flying in the air. Also, the commentary, he says like, Kevin De Bruyne, and that's funny. I like that <laughs> <laughs> every time. <laughs> like in the old Pro Evos, you had Neymar, Neymar, Neymar. I, I always remember... <laughs> Uh, from I think it was FIFA 13 or something Charles and Zogbria <laughs> I always remember the way the guy said Charles it's Kevin Deprang that's, that's what he does that's funny yeah. and he's a, like he's an invading alien and the commentator Derek uh, Ray is his name Derek Ray he's Derek an Aberdeen Ray. fan Derek he's a he's a great commentator he does loads of the um, the English Bundesliga yeah, work he's right. brilliant well, I was like the thing you like. I was just doing a really good segue into another part. A part of this FIFA thing is that because oh. FIFA's obviously it it rules the video game waves. The roost. <laughs> yes, it rules the game roost. It is the yeah. the the king or queen of all the games. It is yeah. in charge of it all. Uh, but this wasn't always the case. No. And it was a guy from Aberdeenshire called Gary Patterson. I did a lot of research into this one's Telegraph, yeah. and he 
is the guy that made FIFA what it like made it really good because Bruno he did. Don't he did. I, be- I believe you. He, he's creative leader. He's also it? just from Aberdeen. He's from Aberdeenshire, from Aviemore. He's no, a he's lovely not guy. Even from Aberdeen, he's from Aberdeenshire. So am I from Aberdeenshire? You're not even from Aberdeen. Aberdeenshire, it's Mate, massive. It's breaking news. It's the countryside. I grew up in a village. Like a lie so it is a weird it's lie. It's been perpetuated. It's a lie. Aberdeenshire, that's so specific. Why do I have to do that? Do you, do you know where Old Meldrum is? Like, we're, we're all, you're from Old Meldrum. Yes. I think there was a teacher at my school yeah, called I Old might have, Meldrum. I might have chosen to find out. I mean, <laughs> you're, the, the town of your the village name was Old Meldrum. It still is. Yes, is it? Yeah. And what house number? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Bull. <laughs> well, anyway, tell us more about your friends from Aberdeen. Yeah, it's not a friend. It's a guy. So I found I wanted to find out who made it good because, like in films, there's someone in charge of these games that makes them good. A director. Yes. Yes. And uh, FIFA was pretty much just dominated by Pro Evo back in the 2000s. Yeah. Pro Evo Six was the last good one, I would say. And then what happened in round about FIFA 07 is Gary Patterson gets a job. Gary Patterson from Aberdeen. Happy <laughs> more, yeah. It's a real boy. He then, so he was, uh, he saw the code from FIFA because he got a job and, uh, working on FIFA managers and stuff like that. Uh, oh my God, you've got all this. <laughs> Old Meldrum has appeared in the podcast. It's a weird podcast. Referred to as the granary of Aberdeen. That's a gran- the granary of Aberdeen for its production of high quality barley. Well, that seems to make sense. Doesn't Can it? you pronounce the name of the distillery? Old Meldrum is a well liked stop just off the beaten track. It's home to one of Scotland's oldest distilleries, founded in 1797, the popular Glen Garioch. No! How, how do I say it? Glen Geary. Glen Geary? Yeah. That's just not right. Though, That's is how it? you say it. It's it's spelt G A R I O C H. Look, you're going to make me spell like yes. pronounce every oh, footballer's name exactly Geary how they immediately say. afterwards. Why yeah. didn't I read the brackets afterwards? Say, it, that distillery is the closest distillery to the city, only a thirty minute drive from the centre, with a range of tours, the option to bottle your own whiskey. Well, mm-hmm. now I understand, and the chance to take part in the informed dram tastings. Yes, the distillery is a great place to sample our water of life, and it really is. Your water of life, isn't it? Anyway, Patterson made this FIFA game really Patterson good. Patterson from Aberdeenshire. FIFA 07 to 09, 10. Yeah, it's yes. when the Metacritic rating was the highest it's ever been. Right. He was. He did that. I think it's good. A good boy from Aberdeenshire did that. I just don't believe anything you say about Aberdeenshire because. But I used to write for the Telegraph. It was real. I've it's never published heard you say anything bad about anyone from Aberdeenshire. You really? Know, I feel, yeah, I feel like if you said, you know, or, or, or Scotland, one of those people, it's like he's proud of where he comes from, which is nice. But also, it's like you know, you'll be having a conversation about Marmite, and then JJ will go, "Oh, the man who did the best review of Marmite is from Aberdeenshire." And then if I go, he was, is it really would. the best review, or is it, you know, you know, all oh, the man who created pipes was from Aberdeenshire? You know, really? Yeah. Well, I lots just of, don't lots believe of it. Good people came from Aberdeen. You know? Yeah. Where did you come from, Seb? Bath. Who's from there? Uh, Tyrone Mings. Uh, Pretty cool. Scott Sinclair. Pretty cool. Scott, just football, as you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mary Berry, the chef. Oh. Yeah. That's good. Lovely. Yeah. And I mean, FIFA 23 is quite fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoyed playing it. Did you play it in Aberdeenshire? <laughs> <laughs> I played it on the PlayStation 5. Did you play it as Aberdeen? It's no, the I first team you play as. Who's the first team you play as when you get I went as FIFA? Arsenal this time. You went as Arsenal, so you really change goal. up every time. I just go different teams all the time. All the time. Yeah, I'm just playing Ultimate teams. Team now. Yeah. Which, which team? I'm playing Ultimate Team, that's what you play. What's that? 
You don't know what Ultimate Team is? Is that one of the best teams in the game? No, it's a game mode. You must know what that is. You're just doing a thing now. I you? don't know what it is. I haven't played FIFA for a long time. The last time I played FIFA, I played The Journey, which was great fun, that bit. Ultimate Team is the thing that me. makes more than money. It's where all the, like, the hundreds of millions of microtransactions come from. Oh. Yeah. I bet they... But they're paid in Aberdeenshire or something, aren't they? Oh, something I, paid I, in I bet a better joke about Aberdeenshire there. Yeah, you do better yeah. than that. Yeah. That's the end of the podcast today. Thanks for listening. Uh, JJ Bull, the bullet from Aberdeenshire. All the best. <laughs> My warmest wishes to home. And Seb Stafford Bloor. Ah, we never found out how your gates were, Seb. But they were. Yeah, they're fine. They're cold. It's cold in Northern Europe today. A little creaky. Yeah, yeah a little creaky. Well, that's what happen when you live near the Arctic Circle. Steve Hankey, thanks for returning from Crete. Oh, was your holiday nice? Lovely. Nobody cares about that. <laughs> hey, Don, producer Don's been here as well. He was also on holiday, and equally, people care a bit more, but not still enough to hear about it. Uh, do buy the book. I don't know where it's gone. It's there. JJ's holding the... J- I'm holding the book now. And of course, please also subscribe to The Athletic, but not before you buy the book. Uh... You pointed at something. Am I? Oh, I mean, we, we've got another podcast. Oh, a lot sh- of people in the comments have said they want they're, they're diggity diggity to Tifo twice a week. We have. What? Tell me more about that, Steve. Thank you. Uh, glad you asked me to do that. Because yeah. <laughs> you haven't so, produced or edited the show. No, and I've you know nothing, nothing about it. it at all, what is it, though? It is uh, John McKenzie, not here this week, but obviously um, very popular with the Tifo podcast listeners. Yeah. Uh, so if you're missing his voice this week, you can actually still get it on Thursday. Oh. In the, and actually, right now, after now this is done, yeah. listen to uh, our, TIFO Talks, our other podcast going down the TIFO football uh, thing. So you don't have to do anything. It's the there thing, already. The feed. Feed, that's the yeah, worst. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Almost as professional here. Um, uh, the most uh, recent, first episode was uh, with Jonathan Wilson, yeah. who, of course, we all know, inverted the py- inverting the pyramid. Um, yes. Just yes. over a decade ago, is reversioning it as well as the years go by. And a new episode will be up this mm. Thursday, which yes. will be with someone. I think it's with, uh, is it Jesse Palmer? Uh, it's about um, about the role of tactics within the women's game and, and whether that does differ or not from the men's game. Also, uh, I don't know if I'm giving away some spoilers, but there are a couple of other uh, exciting guests to come, one of whom is uh, James Montague, uh, which I believe is episode three. So that will mm. be a week on Thursday, but that's a real good one. Yes, I'm on one of them as well. Not being interviewed. <laughs> I'm interviewing on one of them. The very, the very final one. Mm. Mm. Anyway, that's all now. But please go and do all of those things. Uh, some would argue that three calls to action too many <laughs> at the end of the show. We'll find out. But uh, anyway, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.